0: Hey, welcome to the One Dive at a Time podcast. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. I'm the founder of Neptune Warrior. I also run a blog over on scubarob.com where you can learn more about me and my style of holistic diving. You can also check out pictures over on Instagram. For Neptune Warrior, that is at neptunewarrior.org. And for my own personal one, where you get to see a little bit of the insights and behind the scenes and just all those things that I'm up to, is One Dive at a Time. And there's little periods in between each one of those. It's just like one dot dive dot. It, you get it, like One Dive at a Time. I'll put make sure I put a, a link over in the show notes. You can also check us out at neptunewarrior.org on the web. And then on YouTube... Neptune Warrior. So if you would, just go out there, like those, and share those. Today I'm going to talk about something that I got in a text. I shared a little bit of this over on YouTube yesterday at the Neptune Warrior YouTube page. And it has to do with a diver being really anxious about going into open water training had some experiences before had a really bad experience before about three and a half years ago but before I jump into that a couple of things that I want to share with you. First of all, I've got to get a podcast out about Bonaire went down there with two other couples and it's the same group that I went to Rotan with a couple of years ago had a blast, had a wonderful time. Actually, it was last year that we went. Had a really good time, had a lot of lessons that we learned. And I wanna make sure that I share that. Bonaire is a fantastic place to go dive. And I wanna encourage you to not only look at Bonaire, that's one of the places I wanna encourage you to go to, but really look at dive travel and dive travel as a lifestyle option. It's something that for years, I had to put off, and I think a lot of us have to put it off, or we feel like we have to put it off. Sometimes the excuses are that we can't afford it, or we don't have time. The thing is, if you don't take time now, when will you have time for it? And as far as expenses, one of the things I do in my coaching practice is I work with people and their finances so they can meet their dreams of travel and doing great trips, whether it's scuba or not. There's a lot of little things you could be doing every single day that's going to put you financially closer to being able to take those trips and you don't have to go out and put it on a credit card. So always more conversation about that. If you want to know more about that, you can always reach out to me through scubarob.com and we can certainly talk about that. We can set up some time to talk about that. We've also got a really interesting trip coming up to a missile silo in March. This is something that has been a bucket list item for me probably since I became a certified diver, maybe even before, because I knew about these missile silos that you could go and dive. And now I've got that opportunity. So there's a silo over in Washington State that has been flooded. This ties in a little bit with my own military history. I never worked missiles, but I certainly knew a lot of guys that did it. And, of course, I went to school so I could learn how to provide force protection and security for missiles that were critical for our nation's defense. And so getting to go to a decommissioned silo that's been flooded, not only is that tied into my history, but it also ties into that distant past of mine that was into technical diving that did shipwreck diving, North Atlantic shipwreck diving. And it's just a chance to go see something that's totally cool. But that has been, a, and, and I don't really have a bucket list in life because I just go and do things, right? But it is something that I have wanted to do for a very, very long time. And it's not just simply a box I get to check on the list of things different types of dives or locations, but it's something I'm really, truly interested in. So it's got me going back through that history, that period of time in our nation's history of when that was a a huge focus for us as as a country and as a a defense system. Hey, I want to throw something else out there. Um, But before I do, you know, Keep in mind that this podcast, my passion, my work in Neptune Warrior, my work as a coach, focuses a lot around veterans who come to a point in their life that they want to end it, that they want to take their life. And that's why Neptune Warrior was established. And secondary to that was wanting to make sure the veterans that we're living, were truly living from the heart. And that's a lot of why we do our diving program. I don't worry about how many certifications I do a year. I honestly don't care. When I set up Neptune, my goal was to have about 80% of our participants participate in confined water pool type scenarios and about 20% go on to get certified. Now during COVID, that swapped to where we had to focus on people who were already certified because we couldn't get into pools. But I honestly do not care about how many people I certify. That's not my benchmark. I don't care about how many people progress through continuous learning. That's not my benchmark. I don't care how many rescue divers, master scuba divers, dive masters instructors that I produce that's why I really don't have an interest in becoming an instructor trainer course director or anything like that even though I do have an agency that's wanting me to go that path my focus is on saving veteran lives Neptune's at a time right now where our numbers are down from where they have been in the past You know, we don't have 25, 35 people showing up for a dive right now. And I honestly don't care. Because number one, the people who are showing up are the people who really do want to use diving as an outlet. As a way to live from the heart. As a way to connect with other veterans as a way to connect with other first responders, how to connect with other people, how to connect with other divers. And yeah, our numbers are down, but what I'm finding is that with our numbers down, we're actually making a really big impact on the people that are showing up. And I wanna say the regulars who are showing up. We have a lot of other people who show up. We have a lot of other people who are following what we do that may not even be divers. They follow us because the podcast and the things that the podcast provides for mental health. They may come to me for coaching because somehow they found us through diving and they're getting better mental, better emotional, better physical health. This last week I had a chance to engage with one of our divers and we had some very heart-to-heart conversations. And in those conversations really found how this diver is struggling. Struggling with the will to live. Struggling with the will to go on. Struggling with just being around normal people at times. And diving is 100% of their outlet. But during that conversation, this diver shared with me that they had appreciated And were some maybe slightly envious of the relationship that I had with my dog, Trigger. Some of you, in fact, most of you may not know this, but there was a period of time that I had a service dog, a legitimate service dog, not not a dog that you go out and say, hey, this is my emotional support animal. I'm just going to slap some stickers on it, get a fake ID and call it a service dog. This was a legitimate service dog. Had been trained. Had a job. Had services that could provide for me. And that pup passed away this last year. Back in February. February, March, not right there, Right there at this place. Actually, March, I'm sorry. It's actually March. But this diver shared that they were all alone and really wish that they'd had something like that. This community is really good about connecting people with needs, connecting veterans with needs, connecting first responders with needs, connecting are kick-ass supporters with needs. And it was Christina Fletcher who really got into this program kind of when we were starting. Maybe, I guess maybe we were into it for about a year. You know, Neptune's going into year seven right now. And she is one of the most resourceful veterans that I have because she has all these different connections. She's really tied into the veteran community. When Trigger passed away, I was offered another service dog. And I recognize that I'm at a point that I don't require one. Yeah, I love dogs, but I don't really require one. But I have... And and, and one of the things I told Christina was, I'd like to save that dog for another vet. Well, as it turns out, the veteran that I was speaking to at the pool... And by the way, the pool has been a great place to open those doorways to communication. We've had four suicide interventions that took place after a pool session, within a couple of hours after a pool session. We actually had one person, and you guys have heard the story on the podcast before, about someone who opted to come diving instead of taking their life. Reaching out to veterans and finding those connections, that's what this is all about. You know, diving provides a lot of things as far as having that ability to be comfortable in the water, being, taking that information and transferring it back into daily life. It's an escape. It's a way to be passionate about something. Well, in this case, it was not only a really deep, good conversation about the status of this vet, but also the ability to get them in contact with a tremendous dog organization that's here in the Treasure Valley. And that's K.J. Shepherds. So K.J. Shepherds is going to work with this veteran. They've started the process already. Today is Tuesday. We had this conversation on Sunday. And that process has already started to get this veteran a legitimate service dog. As my dog in the background, that's probably what you can hear is uh, snuffling around. But I'm super excited about that. So all good things, right? I, I don't care about the numbers. What I care about is the one, the one person we can help. What I care about is the 22 a day. And of, of, and that's the that's the number of veterans, and the number is actually higher than that. But 22 has become the standard. But 22 a day that take their life. That's where my metrics are at, is helping to reduce that number, making sure it doesn't happen with anyone that gets involved in our diving program. So I just want to start out by saying that. I shared over on the YouTube channel yesterday an email. I'm sorry, not an email, but a text message that I got from someone who is about to start in diving. And in that... They are so wrapped in their head. Now, they had an experience about three and a half years ago. They went to a resort, wasn't really good instruction. They panicked. Uh, they didn't do well. Their, their, uh, their spouse went on to go ahead and get certified after that experience. And, obviously, you know, it's one of those situations where the spouse wants another spouse to, to dive with them. And the spouse here that we're talking about is really, really struggling with it, really deep into their head and and having a lot of issues with it so when we look at things like fear you know you know what what is fear and and how does it come about well that's that's what i want to talk about in this episode and what my techniques are in order to help get someone out of their head and really into diving So, a lot of the times when we're looking at the fears that divers have, and specifically in this situation, uh, the diver or the potential diver or dive candidate, uh, not quite yet a diver, <laughs> however we want to label that, is fearful of mask getting flooded by water, what do they do if they choke on the snorkel? What do they do if they choke on the regulator? Uh, that ability to not just pull their head up out of the water. The fear of running out of air. All those things are, is, is what she had texted, right? And again, the experience of three and a half years ago did not go well. So you have someone who's already fearful, and then those fears were reinforced through the experience that they had. And now they're in a situation where, from what I can tell in our back-and-forth text messages, wants to become a diver. Now, it's completely different when you have someone who the spouse is a diver. You know, one spouse is a diver. The other spouse is not a diver, really doesn't want to become a diver. Has fears, has lack of interest, gets forced into a dive program or dive training, and it's much harder to convert that person into a diver when they don't want to be a diver in the first place. In the situation we're talking about here, is someone who wants to become a diver, from the best I can tell, wants to become a diver, had a bad experience. Fears were were reinforced. Now, I've done podcasts before on fear. But I want, again, as I'm trying to move more into this Q&A type format with YouTube, I always want to follow those up with a little more information on the podcast. So, yes, you can go out and find some more information that I've put out there on fear. and, And in some cases, maybe this is even repeating itself. But I think it's because of the situations why I wanted to do this podcast about the head games so when we think about when we think about fears that people struggle with it can really be organized into the areas of their focus and the most common sources of fear they relate to specific situations or objects that might be things like Fear of dogs, fear of cats, fear of the water, fear of crowded places, fear of airplanes. Number two, it can be body sensations. It can be heart palpitations. It can be dizziness. It can be social and performance situations. Number four, it can be obsessive fears. Number five, it can be excessive worries. And then it can also be, for our sixth and last one here, it could be post-traumatic fears. And a lot of veterans, that's where their fear is at. I had a veteran that I got certified as a diver, one of our very, very early veterans, was in a vehicle ambush. And their vehicle was flipped upside down into the water. And they had to be revived, or otherwise they would have been. They would have drowned. So post-traumatic fears, beliefs that you know that person is still in danger, even when the threat is passed or memories of the trauma, which are accompanied by high levels of fear. And in that case, with the I, uh, with the IED person, and the vehicle or with the the veteran who'd been in the IED vehicle ambush. Okay, so that fear was bringing him back to, to that point. As I shared in the YouTube video, I have a very specific way that I help address those type of situations where someone is fearful of the water, or if not fearful, anxious of the water. Uptight, hesitant. However, we want to label that right. And what I use is exposure. Exposure is one of the most effective interventions for overcoming fear. And that comes directly from research from Hoffman and Smith's around 2007-2008 uh, timeframe, somewhere in there. It, for, when we do it, it involves. The diver repeatedly facing the fears to reduce the fearful responses and reverse those patterns of avoidance. That sounds harsh, right? It sounds like we're taking this person, it, it, it and it's not. I guarantee you, it is not the example that people have seen before or have talked about before. Hey, the way I learned how to swim is my dad threw me into the water. That's not what this is. So I want you to think about concentric circles, right? Or if you want to think about the target or a target, like, a, like an archery target, where you've got a bullseye, then you've got a ring out from that, then you have a ring out from that, you know, concentric circles, right? So where we start at is that safe place, that comfort zone. That's where that bullseye's at, right? Or the very center. The very center circle, the most innermost circle is that comfort zone. Throwing someone into a pool and telling them how to learn how to swim. Throw someone into the river, telling them how to learn how to swim. Taking a diver or a potential diver and putting them into a fearful situation right away. That is going from that comfort zone all the way out to the panic zone. Now, someone may be successful. They may learn how to swim. They may learn how to dive. They may learn how to skydive, repel, whatever it happens to be. But they don't really learn. They actually do it. But they don't learn all the nuances. So let's back up just a little bit. We've got someone who has anxiety about the water or fear or just not into it, right? What I do as an instructor is we start out with the simple stuff. We put the regulator in the mouth. We bend at the waist. We plug our nose with our fingers. No mask on, by the way. And we just start breathing, blowing bubbles underwater. In fact, we kind of make it a game. Before they ever stick their head in the water, I'll have them just breathe through the regulator so they sound like Darth Vader. And then when they are ready, they put their face in the water. And yeah, it's going to tickle a little bit. Their eyes close. It's that mammalian response thing, right? Eyes close; They want to hold their breath a little bit. With a little bit of encouragement, they start breathing underwater through the regulator. Then we'll talk about it. Then we'll drop down to our knees, still without the mask on. And they're blowing bubbles and breathing compressed air. What that does is it gets them used to that situation. We have now used exposure, which again is one of the most effective interventions for overcoming fear. Because now when I get ready to move them into putting a little bit of water in the mask... Cracking the top of the seal, let the water dribble down so that way they don't get a nasal enema. They've already been exposed to water on the face. What that does is it provides in vivo exposure. That's where the diver confronts their fear in real life. With in vivo exposure, it can include objects, situations, body sensations, and thoughts. Because after we do that, we do the big high five. We congratulate each other or congratulate the diver. Another thing that I tend to use is imaginal exposure. And that's where the diver confronts their fear using their imagination or a narrative. So I tend to use a narrative and I walk them through what we are about to do. And as we process the experience after they've already done it, we walk through a description of that fear. And this is used as a... I use it as a processing the experience type activity. Because it's not practical for them to always be in the water. But it gives them an opportunity to see where they were successful and then we take that and move that to other things in their life. It's a great coaching opportunity of hey, where else have you had some fears? Where else do you have an anxiety? So that's what I've got for this episode. Always want to encourage people that if you're out there and you're not really sure about this diving thing, I would love an opportunity to walk you through that. Even if I cannot be your instructor, we can at least set up some coaching. I can get you ready for those lessons and maybe we can find you an instructor that's going to work with you. Obviously, I'd like to be your instructor for that. Hey, I've got a lot going on in life right now as far as other activities. I am studying for for my captain's license. Oh my gosh, I have a huge respect for anybody who's got a captain's license with all the stuff I'm going through, learning charts, learning rules of the road, all kinds of stuff. Hey, make sure that you tune into the podcast. Make sure that you're going out there and checking out the YouTube channel. I'll make sure I put links in the show notes. When you get opportunities, go face those fears. And I'd like to walk you with you on that path. All right. Until next time, as long as you got air, you are all right.